first, they sought the mysterious miracle worker, hoping for help. Instead of a promise of rain, Elisha told them to make the valley full of ditches and wait. Grab your shovels and get ready to grow with ridiculous faith. All right, we're in uh, in our series about uh, Elijah, and uh, last week we talked about ridiculous commitment. Remember, looking at Elisha and how he uh, burned the plows, right, and uh, killed the oxen. And uh, remember, he burned the plows, killed the oxen to go ahead and do whatever it is God wanted him to do, right? There's an important distinction, as you uh, may have been thinking about burning some plows this past week, uh, that they're not plows because you just want to move on in whatever you want to do. Uh, They're plows because God is telling you, God is nudging you, God is leading you in his direction. So it's a little distinction. Make sure you get that right, okay? Um, Today, we go from ridiculous commitment to uh, ridiculous faith. And uh, we're going to be uh, in Second uh, Kings 3. So if you've got the word with you, uh, whether it's with your app or whether it's uh, the written word, hardcover, uh, pull that out. And uh, that's where we're going to spend uh, fundamentally most of our time uh, today. Or uh, if nothing else, pull out that half sheet that we give you <coughs> Excuse me, and be able to circle and take notes and uh, follow along. So to get, uh, to get the understanding of the, of the big power of the end of the story today, uh, we're going to have to start by doing a little bit of a history lesson and a little bit of a geography lesson, okay? And the history lesson starts here in 2 Kings uh, 3, and it says, Ahab, uh, son, Ahab's son Joram began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. Okay, so do the math. How many kings does that verse talk about? Take a guess. Two. Yeah, two. That's right. <laughs> it talks about two kings. Let's say one, two. Yeah, two kings. talks about two kings. And that can be confusing for us when we get thinking about Israel, right? Because we go back to King David, and King David had, there was one Israel under King David, right? Uh, that's part of what he did, was he extended the borders of Israel. He established the nation of Israel. Unfortunately, after David came Solomon, and after Solomon things fell apart, right? After Solomon, there a king came along uh, who did not follow God, went with his own kind of wisdom and greed. And as a result, uh, there was a rebellion in the, the northern part of Israel. And so Israel was uh, split in two, right? And so when we get Elijah, uh, Elijah is a prophet primarily to this Israel northern uh, kingdom of Israel. But there's also a southern kingdom of Israel. And the key for us to note, and we'll see this in the next, as we go back to the verse, is that in the northern kingdom there is Joram, who is the king, and he is an ungodly king, right? He is not following the ways and walking with the living God. In the south is Jehoshaphat, and he is trying his best uh, to walk with God. Not always perfectly, but he is at least godly. He is trying his best to uh, walk with God. Okay, you ready? So we go back to our verse and we see it affirms in the second verse talking about uh, Ahab's son Joram that he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, uh, but not to, to the same extent as mom and dad. They, they were even worse, but he's still bad, right? He at least tore down some of the Baal stuff. That's the, the, the false god Baal. Nevertheless, he continued in the sins that Jeroboam, son of Napat, had committed and led the people of Israel to commit. So it's Bible's way of saying this is not a good king. Okay? So he's not walking with God. That's the big thing. He is not walking 
with God, right? Jehoshaphat, yeah, he's trying to walk with God, but not the, the northern kingdom. You got it? Okay. Uh, so what happens, we get in verse 7, that on the way he sent a message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. So he's sending a message to the southern king. He's saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in a battle against him? So uh, if you go back to the, the map again, right? So you got the northern kingdom here, southern kingdom here, and you got Moab over here. So this guy, Moab, who's not walking with God, doesn't know God, he is rebelling and he's causing problems for the king of, northern, of Israel, the northern kingdom, right? So the guy says, hey, I'm going to put him, get him in line. And he appeals to the king in the south to uh, help him put Moab back in line. And Jehoshaphat, who's trying to walk with God, important little lesson here, makes a huge error in judgment. When the appeal comes, look what he says. And Jehoshaphat replied, why? Of course, absolutely. You and I are as one. What was he thinking? Was he hearkening back to the days when, when they were one kingdom? And they were saying, well, you know, listen, we both come from the same roots, and, you know, we're kind of we're one, so sure, I'm with you, and my army's your army, my horse is your horses, you know, we're, we'll do this together, it's all good. But the problem is, they're not as one. I mean, not just geographically in terms of northern kingdom, southern kingdom, but what is the big, huge difference between these two kings? One is walking with God, and one isn't. Here's a subtle lesson in the scriptures. Always, 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 Christ follower, ask the question when you're dealing with someone, are they walking with God or not? Because that tells you how you deal with them. Right? Always, always, always. And before you look at them and you say, oh, we're as one. Wait, no, wait, are we? Ask that question. Are we as one? Are, are we spiritually in the same place, right? Before you commit yourself into a, to a, to a relationship, or especially a marriage relationship, you've got to ask that question. Business, before you commit yourself even into a, into a business relationship, you ought to know that answer. You ought to know. Are we, are we able to walk together on at least this spiritual level? Because that's influencing how you walk together in other levels. You get that? It's a subtle, cool thing in Scripture. So he makes a huge error in judgment, but he joins into the campaign to go in against the king of Moab, and he says, what route? How are we going to do this, right? What route are we going to take? Okay? So they get together on this thing, and they decide, well, the kingdom of the north is going to come this way. The king of the south is here, and they're going to go around the southern part here through uh, the kingdom of Edom, they're going to go around the southern part here, and they're going to attack Moab from the south. Make sense? Right? And as they go, you'll see the king of Edom joins in to the whole deal. He also is not a godly king, knows nothing about uh, the, the living God, but he joins in uh, to the process. And so they come down. And that seems like a good plan, looking at the map, right? All right, let's look at it this way. Uh, if you get a little closer, so they're coming down and they're going to go and they're going to attack right here. What do you see right there? That's called the Dead Sea, right? 
Why is it dead? Because the water is full of salt, right? So it's totally unusable, undrinkable kind of water. Just becomes important, right? So they pay, this is their plan. They're going to go that way. Now here's what it looks like uh, from the satellite. What do you notice about this region down here? What color is it? Brown and barren, right? If you go to Israel with me, you're going to go here. You're going to see this. It's brown and it's barren. All right, let's put this all together. Three armies are marching. They're going down this way. This is the route they've decided to take. The main water source is an unusable water source, and they're going out into the wilderness. What do you suppose happens? The king, the, the king of Edom and his troops, they joined in, and all three armies traveled along a roundabout route. This is, by the way, uh, when you get three kings together, it's like a committee. Right? you got three kings together trying to figure out what route they're going to take, and they just go roundabout. Right? What's, what's the old thing about a committee? A, a camel is a horse designed by a committee. Isn't that? Okay. You heard that before, haven't you? Camel's a horse designed by a committee. Anyway, so, you, I mean, right? They, I mean, they're roundabout. They end up, not direct route. They just go roundabout. And what's the outcome? They go roundabout through the wilderness for seven days. And guess what? There was no water for their men or their animal. How bright are these kings? Right? So they got three armies out there ready to go and attack Moab, and they got no water. And the big water source is unusable. They're out in the wilderness. What just was created? Crisis. They are in crisis. You got three armies now ready to go, but they are totally depleted. The soldiers, the animals, everything is unusable because they have no water. And so they are in absolute crisis. What happens when you get in absolute crisis? For one of them, King Jehoshaphat, the answer was easy. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah, the godly one, he says... Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? Did you guys pack a prophet? I mean, come on, right? We're going on this journey. Somebody had to pack a prophet, right? Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. What is the response of the godly king? You're in crisis. What do you need to do? Well, you need to seek the Lord, right? You, you need to just come humble, and you, and you need to seek the Lord on this thing. And, and what, what is God's desire as you're in the experience of crisis? Ironically, one of the officers of King Joram, the guy that doesn't know God, he says, well, Elijah, son of Shaphat, he's here, and uh, he used to be Elijah's personal assistant. And Jehoshaphat, the godly one, said, yeah, oh my gosh, I've heard about that guy. The Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel and then King Jehoshaphat of Judah and the king of Edom, all of them got together and they said, well, let's consult Elijah. Sound smart? Yeah, now let me show you one cool little thing about Scripture. Love Scripture, right? So here's one cool little thing that you've got to always kind of pay attention to the small things in Scripture. And I, I'm lifting it up for you here. You notice up here in the translation it says, he's Elijah's a personal assistant. And then there's this thing, this footnote B. 
right? I put it in here for you. If you follow it down to the bottom of the page, you go to footnote B, the Hebrew, get this, this is fun. The Hebrew says, in literally, the Hebrew says, he used to pour what? Water on the hands of Elijah. How cool is it? What are they missing? <laughs> Isn't scripture fun? I just think that's so cool. Yeah, he's, yeah. He used to pour, anyway, I think that's cool. I just love that stuff. That's good stuff. Right. Okay, so back at it, right? So they're in crisis. The, the godly guy gets it. Yes, let's seek the Lord on this thing. So they go seek the Lord. Now, here's the problem. Elijah shows up, and Elijah gets in their face. Elijah shows up, and he gets kind of sassy, right? He just gets kind of, you know, in-your-face kind of stuff. And he says, hey... Why are you coming to me? Think about who's coming to him. King Jehoshaphat, godly. King of Edom, totally ungodly. King of the northern kingdom, Joram, totally what? Ungodly. One godly, two ungodlies. Elijah the prophet shows up and says what? He says it to the king of Israel. Who's the king of Israel? He is the northern king, right? He says to the ungodly king, What? Well, why are you calling on me now? Why, why would you go to the pagan prophets of your fathers and mothers? That, I mean, you've been calling on them for all these years. So, hey, pal, it's kind of one of those, you made your bed, so what? See, here's an important cultural awareness. Because there is a cultural Christianity that exists out in the world that you and I live in, Christ followers. And in that cultural Christianity that's out there, there is this assumption that when you're in crisis, God ought to be there and ought to do what you think he ought to do for you. Even though you haven't talked to him, walked with him, been with him, or know much about him other than he exists. But when you're in crisis, just call on God, and he'll fix everything. Elijah shows up and says, what? Why would you think that? Why would you think that God would just show up in your crisis and make everything okay when you haven't even paid attention to him? When you haven't walked with him, talked with him, you haven't done anything. In fact, you have walked so far away from him and worshiped other gods. This is an important distinction for us. And look what the king of Jor- king, the northern king does, Joram, right? King Joram of Israel says, No! For it was the Lord who called us three kings here only to, to be defeated by the king of Moab. Who does he blame the crisis on? The Lord. So this guy that hasn't walked with God, he's in fact walked way away from God, right? He now says in the crisis, no, it's not only not my fault, that God ought to do something because he brought us here. No, he didn't. He didn't speak to Joram and say, hey, that Moab guy, that king down there, he's causing problems, you go take care of him. Nowhere in the scriptures that it say that. The king of Israel is down there because the king of Israel wanted to be down there because he wanted to spank the king of Moab. 
He's there on his own energy, with his own desire, with his own intention. It had nothing to do with God. And yet when he gets in crisis, what does he do? God, you need to show up and fix it. What would make him think that that would happen? What would make our culture think that that's the way God works? That God is just the Mr. Fix-It that shows up just because you call on him. Think about it in New Testament terms. Look at 1 Corinthians. Paul is quoting the prophet Isaiah. So this is New and Old Testament pushed together, right? He says, this is what the Scripture means when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for who? For those who love him. There's a distinction there, isn't there? For those who love him. Or look at Romans 8. Great Romans 8 chapter. Paul says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who... That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. But it's equally true that God is not a Mr. Fix-It God for the crisis. If you don't know him and you walk away from him, how can you expect him to be actively involved in your life? How can you expect him to do anything in your life? It's kind of in your face, isn't it? But that's exactly what Elijah does. He gets in their face and says, why in the world did you call me? Now, here's the good news. Here's the grace. Okay? Here's the good news for us. Elijah replies, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, even though you don't haven't worshipped him, you don't think he does, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, great little jab, right? Whom I serve. I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for who? The one who's walking with God. For the one who's walking with God. Look what just happened. It's a grace moment. Right? There's one king among three. The ungodly outnumber the godly. Right? There's one king among three. The other two, they are there on their own energy, with their own agenda, for their own purposes, and they have had nothing to do with the living God. And they're all in crisis. And what what does Elijah say? For the sake of the one who walks with me, I'll get involved. For the sake of the one who walks with me, whatever the crisis, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance... We have the reassurance that when we walk with him, what does he do? He walks with us. We can go into crisis and understand crisis is God's opportunity to not only show up, but show himself and prove himself. And he is willing to be in the crisis. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they... Comfort me. You see, for we who walk with Christ, we get the reassurance that in our crisis, God is already there. That in our circumstances, He is more than willing to show up and to work. How does that happen? In this experience, we get a great lesson about the importance of worship. So what happens? Elijah says, listen, for the sake of the one, for the sake of the one, God is willing to enter into this crisis. And so he makes a ridiculous request. For the sake of the one, God is going to do something miraculous. And his first request is what? Now bring me someone who can play a harp. Excuse me? 
right? That's ridiculous. Wait, we're in crisis. We don't have water. And you want some guy to play the harp? What are you thinking? Right? What is Elijah doing? The harp is an instrument of worship. Elijah understands, and he's teaching us this morning, that if you want to experience a word of the Lord, if you want to experience the presence of the Lord, if you want to experience the movement and the instruction of the Lord, where do you go? Worship. Worship. If you're not here every week, you're robbing yourself. If you're not here every week, you're you're robbing yourself of the opportunity for God to speak into your life, into your crisis, into your future, into whatever's going on in your life. Look what happens in the text. Bring me somebody who can play the harp. And while the harp was being played, while he was in worship, while the harp was being played, what? The Lord gave Elijah power. Where did it happen? Worship. How important is worship? You see, the habit of worship creates the habit of God's power. Because we know He's here. He, he shows up when we're in this room. He shows up just like he showed up there, and he gives direction. He gives insight to his people, to his prophet, Elisha. Now, the direction may not always make sense to us, right? So here's the direction. God shows up in worship. He gives a word to Elijah and says, here's what you need to do. And so Elijah says to him, the Lord spoke to me. The Lord says, dig holes in the valley. First a harp, now what? Go dig holes. Wait a minute. We did our geography. Where are they? They are out in the dry wilderness. They are without water. And what does is, what is Elijah tell him to do? Go perspire some more and dig some holes. Ridiculous? Sometimes, God calls us to just step out in faith, even though it seems ridiculous, just because we trust Him and we know He can do it. So we said last week, right? We don't have to know the outcome. We just have to step out in faith. So He comes to him and He says, Listen, the Lord said, Go dig holes. You're going to get water. It's not going to come from the wind. It's not going to come from the rain. That would be too easy, right? I mean, that would be like, sure, well, okay, God, solve the problem. Let it rain. No, I'm going to show you this is my action. God is going to prove to you this is his doing. So there can be no doubt. He says, go dig holes. You won't see the wind. You won't see the rain you think you're going to get. But the valley is going to be filled with water. And your cattle and you and all your animals, everybody's going to drink. And it's going to be easy. But what do they have to do first? Something absolutely ridiculous. Start digging holes. Just take a step of faith. Just trust him absolutely, completely. We've seen this in Jesus' ministry. It shouldn't surprise us. New Testament. Jesus asked people to do ridiculous things if they just, if they just trusted him. 
right? So some guys lower a guy through a roof. He's on a, on a mat, right? And the text says he's paralyzed, right? And what does Jesus do? Jesus turns to the paralyzed guy, and he says, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. In that moment, what could have the guy said? Uh, excuse me? You may not have noticed, but I'm paralyzed. <laughs> right? Instead, what do you do? The man jumped up, went home. What did that jumping up take? Ridiculous faith. Ridiculous faith. The idea that a paralyzed guy could just jump up, fold up his mat, and go home is ridiculous. And that's exactly what happened. When you just believe and you know God can. Right? We do ridiculous faith things. We don't have to know the outcome. We step out and we dig those holes. Why? Because we just know God can. We just know God can. And it says, Elijah says to him, Look, but this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. What's really cool, go back and read this whole thing. He not only fills up all the holes and, and all the rivers, he fills all of that up uh, with water, right? It says the next day, about, about the time when the morning sacrifice, oh, they're in worship, about when worship was happening, water suddenly appeared, and it was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water where? Everywhere. Not only does God supply them with the water, but if you read the battle, God uses the water to defeat Moab. It's really, go read it. It's really cool. God uses the water that he gives to defeat Moab. You see, he, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But he does more than they can think or imagine. What did it take? Ridiculous faith that just said, start digging holes. So here it is for you today, for us today, right? For some of you out there. You, you may be in that position of uh, the northern king, right? Where you, you really haven't been walking uh, with God, right? You, you've been resisting. You, you've been just kind of sticking to your own thing and following your own plan and doing what you think is best for yourself. And you know what? Today is a day when you need to say, that's done. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of doing that. It's just way too much crisis. And you just need to say, Jesus, you're Lord. And, and do something that seems so ridiculous. And you just let the Holy Spirit consume you in faith. And you say, my life from now on goes his way. I'm going to dig holes. My life goes his way. And for those of you that are already walking with Christ, you're following him already. I mean, it's great news today that he will be with us in any crisis, in any situation, right? Absolutely great news. But we've got to ask the question, do we just trust him and start digging the holes? Do we just start doing things just because he asked, doing it his way? totally his way, just because we know he can. Just because we know he can. It calls for ridiculous commitment and ridiculous faith. Let's pray. Father, thanks. What a great witness this morning from Elisha. It's incredible. Seems ridiculous, but it's incredible. Uh, it's simple for you. It's simple for you to take over our lives. And to lead us, it's simple for you to, to be in the middle of that crisis. You promise that you will when we walk with you. So, Lord, we come to you today. We pray for those that, that maybe they're like that northern king and haven't been walking the way you would choose. 
We pray, Lord, today would be a humble day, that, that you would just bring them back, that you'd, you'd, you'd bring them uh, into that right relationship with you because of Jesus. And, Lord, for those of us that have been like the southern king, that we've been trying to walk with you, doing our best, uh, we, just, we just come to you and we, we ask you, uh, keep leading us. Uh, help us have ridiculous faith. that We don't always understand it, but we just know you can. And so just, just give us the strength of faith to keep moving forward and to just know uh, nothing is beyond you and that you're with us in absolutely all things. And it's a simple, simple thing for you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.